Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Christians in My Soup, a weekly podcast by one of God's peculiar people, about God's peculiar people, for God's peculiar people, proving that life is simply not as black and white as some would have us believe, but that sometimes life gets real and doesn't fit into any boxes, no matter how hard we try. As promised, this week I'm bringing you a sermon that I preached some 25 years ago when I was in training at Moreland's Bible College. This was my assessed preach and formed part of a set of two sermons that were brought that day. I took for my subject the book and story of Jonah. So, without further delay, and with apologies for the sound quality which I've tried to clean up as much as possible, here we go. Uh, it's just got a little subtitle, A Readiness to Obey. I've been a minister for over 25 years, and most of my preaching has been to juries. You know what a jury is? It's a group of people who come together to listen to some facts, then go off and think about and think about it for a while. Then, if, they, if the facts seem right and reasonable, they do something about it. And that's why most of us listen to the Word of God. But God will not commit himself to us on that kind of proposition. The Word of God is not on trial. The proper attitude for hearing with faith is one that says, Lord, I don't know what you are going to say to me, but I commit myself to obey what you say, even before you say it. It is a signing of, it is signing a blank contract and allowing God to fill in the terms. But I can't do that, someone says. Why not? Are you afraid that God will take advantage of you? Do you believe that once he has you in his clutches, he will pull some dirty trick on you? Suppose my son said to me, Dad, from now on I'm going to do everything you tell me to do, without arguing about it or asking why. What would my reaction be? Would I say to myself, hmm, now I've got this kid right where I want to? Of course not. And if, being, and if I, being evil, know how to give good things to my son, how much more does my heavenly father? A readiness to obey is the expression of our confidence in a loving heavenly father. But we cannot expect God to reveal himself to us if our attitude is, first tell me what you want, and then I'll decide whether to obey. We must preface our hearing the word of God with a commitment to obey, even before we know what he asks of us. This is the readiness to obey. Jesus, thank you for Russell, Lord. And Lord, just thank you for the word that you're going to bring 
through him to us today, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you prepare our hearts and that we be uh, ready to obey, Lord, your word is good to us. You even had no idea what uh, I had in mind for this morning. And as far as I know, you didn't know what Trevor was going to be saying either. Um, but God is good, and as we've seen time and again uh, through these preaching classes, what Ewan has brought to us has served actually as a very good introduction uh, to what I wanted to say. Would you turn with me please to the book of Jonah and chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. While you're doing that, I'll just explain. It's a little bit unfair having the clock at the back uh, because it means that I can see it straight away and uh, watch times ticking by slowly. And it means that I can't uh, give you the story of the young lad who was in church. When the congregation were called to kneel, he asked Father what's going on. And Father explained that the congregation were going to pray. And uh, when the congregation were called to stand, he once again asked Father, what it meant, and Father said, well, this actually means that we're going to sing. And uh, then the preacher did what I can't do, and he took his watch off and he laid it down carefully in front of him on the stand. And the son said to the father, Father, what does this mean? And the father said, son, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but I can't do that because the clock's in front of me and I can see it, so... Uh... Jonah chapter 3. We're going to read the whole of that chapter. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up all their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray together. Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> what I want to do this morning is uh, give a brief overview of the life of Jonah. 
from start to finish. And the first thing that we need to look at is the fact that Jonah ran away. <coughs> and those of you who were awake in uh, recent lectures uh, taken by JD will remember some of the reasons for that. I want, to, I want to just take a moment to look at that. Why was it that Jonah took it upon himself to go in completely the opposite direction to which God had called him to go? And uh, just again by way of brief explanation, uh, the, the town that Jonah was headed to, Tarshish, was about twice as far in the opposite direction as Nineveh was, where God had called Jonah to go. But why did Jonah run away in the first place? What was the situation in Nineveh? Why was he scared to go there? Well, on the practical side, the book of Jonah itself doesn't actually mention much about what was happening in Nineveh at the time. In fact, the only reference that the, the book of Jonah gives is the one that we read just a few moments ago, where in the decree of the king of Nineveh we read, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So I did a little bit of research, didn't take a great deal of doing, and I found in the next book, in fact, uh, in Nahum, we find several areas of Nineveh's transgressions. The first one being plotting against God, and if you, if you are taking notes, the reference for that is chapter 1 and verse 11, uh, where uh, the, the Ninevites are uh, told that they're plotting against God. Secondly, they're involved in cruelty and plundering in war, chapter 2 and verse 13. Prostitution and witchcraft are also mentioned, that's chapter 3 and verse 4. And finally, the only one for which I haven't actually put the reference down, uh, they're also accused of commercial exploitation. So Nineveh was in a spot of trouble. And uh, humanly speaking, it's no wonder that Jonah didn't want to go there, that he didn't want to have anything to do with those people. But there's a second reason. And uh, in chapter 4, we read in verse 2, He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah knew that God was a God of compassion and God was a God of forgiveness. And he knew that God would forgive the people. And for Jonah, he wanted the blessing that God would give to be given to the chosen people. He cared little for the Gentiles and for their part in God's plan. And he really didn't want the forgiveness of God to be poured out on the people of Nineveh. And so he turned and he ran away straight into the mouth of the fish. Now as an aside, and regrettably I can share this through personal experience, no time of running away is wasted by God. Five and a half years ago, I left home in Luton and I moved to Herne Bay 
on the North Kent coast. The original plan, having already filled in an application form to come here, was that I would spend a year there, put some money behind me, and then come to college. Unfortunately, I got cold feet and conveniently lost the application form. It took God to provide me with a wonderful wife who succeeded where my mother had failed and get me to come to college. But I was privileged that during that time, God used me in a number of ways, not only to share with other staff members to be there to be able to encourage them, but also to be able to start up a youth work uh, at the church uh, in which uh, Anne and I are now members. I say that not to blow my own trumpet, but to say to you that no time when we're running away is wasted by God. God can and will use us. In fact, in the story here that we read, we find that during the time where Jonah himself was involved in running away, it was at that time that the Gentiles on the boat that Jonah had caught were in fact made aware of the God of Israel. If you look at chapter 1 and verse 16, at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now there's no indication that the sailors on that boat were converted outright and uh, renounced the other gods that they knew. But on the upside, they were made very much aware of the God of Israel through Jonah. No time of running away is wasted. In the verses that we read, we come on to what I've titled Jonah's Second Chance. Jonah's Second Chance. After the fish had deposited Jonah on the dry land, we read in verse 1 of chapter 3, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give to you. Two things I want to draw from that verse. The first thing is that God does not give up on us. God never gives up on us. I spent four and a half years running away from what God wanted me to do and where God wanted me to be. But he never gave up. All the time I thought that I'd given up. Actually, I hadn't. But God, more importantly, had never given up on me. And he never gives up on us. It's a lie of the devil that I think besets us frequently when we let God down in whatever way that we're no longer of any use to God. You can no longer do it. You've blown it. You've had your chance. That's a lie. God never gives up on any of us. Second thing to note is in the second half of verse 2. Go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim whatever you feel like. No, that's not what God said. Go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. The prophets were not merely tellers of future events. 
they were passers on of the message that God had given them into a given situation. The message that they are given is given weight in itself because it comes from God to the prophets. And we need to remember that when we're sharing our message, the gospel message, with people, that message carries weight simply because of where it comes from. That message is not coming from us, it's not coming from our heads, it's coming directly from God. And that alone gives it weight. And brothers and sisters, we need to remember that when we're sharing our faith with people on a one-to-one basis, whether we're preaching evangelistically at a particular meeting, we need to remember the message we are giving carries tremendous weight. And in fact, relating that back to the text, we can see just about the weight that it carried. The Ninevites believed in God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes and covers and fell with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued the proclamation that we read. A message from God carries weight. Finally, we have the lesson of compassion. The lesson of compassion in chapter 4. After going through all that Jonah had been through, and admittedly a lot of it was brought on himself, Jonah eventually arrives at Nineveh, brings the message that God has given him, and what does God do? God sees the action of the people and forgives them. Jonah must have felt slightly embarrassed, having stood, I imagine, with a certain amount of venom, and said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The people change, God forgives them, and nothing happens. I wonder how many times when we've been in situations where we've said, such and such is going to happen if you do that, and it doesn't happen. Jonah was angry. Yes, I guess partly because of that. But also because, as we saw earlier, Jonah didn't want the blessing of God to go to the Gentiles. He was concerned only that that blessing went to the chosen people. And he was angry that God had forgiven those people. But God challenges that anger with the provision of the vine. And causes Jonah, in fact, to become angry about the destruction of the vine. The vine grows up and is destroyed uh, within the day. And Jonah is angry about that destruction. But God says to Jonah, what right have you got to be angry about the destruction of the vine and yet to care little about the people of Nineveh? We should have compassion for all of those outside 
of the kingdom of God. A compassion for all the people in the world. There should be no one who isn't a Christian that we do not want to see in the kingdom of God. I close with this. Our compassion for those who are as yet unsaved should drive us on to doing all that God has called us to do. Far better to be within the will of God than struggling outside it. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, I pray that each one of us here would receive a compassion from you for the people of our world who as yet don't know you. And I pray too, Father, that through that compassion, we would be driven on to serving you willingly in whatever area you've called us to. In Jesus' name. And once again, my apologies for the sound quality on that recording, but bear in mind, as I say, it was recorded some 25 years ago and the tech wasn't anywhere near as good then as it is today. You know, hearing that sermon again evokes a number of memories from my time at Morelands College, some of which I'll be sharing on this show at a later date. But the one that sticks in my mind the most is something that happened immediately after I brought this message. After each of the sermons were brought that day, they were critiqued by various members of the college staff. Sharon Pryor was the first to critique the message that I brought that day, and her opening line was this. Russ, thank you so much for what you brought today. You speak with power and authority. Well, that was it from my point of view. I didn't hear anything else that Sharon said, nor did I hear, or if I did, I certainly can't remember any of the other critiques that were brought. My head was rapidly expanding with the compliment that Sharon had given me. I sat down with my mind buzzing, and to this day I couldn't tell you what the other message was that was preached that day. However, all that pride came crashing down, when as I left the lecture room at the end of that day's class, a student colleague of mine came over to me and put his arm around my shoulder and said, Russ, all Sharon meant was, you don't need a microphone. And I've got to say, that from that point on, my attitude towards my own preaching has been far more grounded than it might otherwise have been. And that's all for this week. As always, my thanks for listening, and please do share the show on your own social media feeds with your churches, your families, and your friends. You can find Christians in My Soup on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe and never miss an episode, and you could do us a favour and leave us a review too. We're on Anchor FM, where you can catch up with every podcast of Christians in My Soup right from the very start. We're also on CastBox, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Radio Public, and Breaker. You can find the Facebook page and the group by searching Christians in My Soup, and we're on Twitter at Sims2019. That's at CIMS2019. You can also email the show at ChristiansInMySoup at Hotmail.com. That's ChristiansInMySoup, all one word, at Hotmail.com. Next week on the show, I'll be sharing the first of two memories from my time at a Scripture Union summer camp here on the Gower in South Wales. But until then, take care of yourselves. And God bless you all.